welcome to our podcast. Uh, we will chat with CEOs and founders of some of the most interesting and influential management companies in the world. So, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about um, financial services, about asset management and Wall Street is that we're constantly changing. We do this um, every two weeks. And today we are here with Richard Bernstein, founder and CEO of Richard Bernstein Advisors. Um, thank you so much for being here today with me. Uh, it's a pleasure having you here. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. So first of all, um, we would like to know a bit more about you. So who is, who is uh, Richard Bernstein and uh, what's your background and how, do, how did you end up in the asset management industry? Right. So um, I've never been working uh, on Wall Street or the asset management industry for just about 40 years, which is a horrible number, but uh, about 40 years. Um, but I didn't, I, my way to get to Wall Street, my way to get to asset management was purely by accident. Um, I actually, when I graduated college in 1980, I was, I wanted to be a labor economist. And that, that sounds a little strange today, but in the 1970s and early 1980s, it was actually a growth industry. Um, there was a lot of inflation. Labor unions were extraordinarily powerful in the United States, and every company had a labor relations uh, office within within the company, and they hired labor economists to to try and figure out all their labor issues. Or you could work for a union, or you know, I mean, there were just tons of labor economics jobs. Well, I actually got myself a job with a very prestigious economic consulting firm in their labor economics group. Uh, and we dealt a lot with government regulation uh, and things like that. Well, um, in November of 1980, Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter in for the presidential election. And uh, the next day, literally, uh, not, no exaggerating at all, not exaggerating at all, the next day, 50% of our business went away. Wow. And um, because all the companies were saying, you know, let's stop, stop billing us. We want to see what's going to happen under Ronald Reagan as opposed to Jimmy Carter. And, and of course, the regulations changed quite dramatically. Um, now, I wasn't the, the smartest guy, but it was pretty clear to me that labor economics was no longer a growth industry. I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I didn't know what the future held, but I knew that when 50% of your business goes away in one day, you're not a growth industry anymore. So um, a friend of mine who got fired very, very soon thereafter, got a job working at a subsidiary of Chase Manhattan Bank, which the subsidiary had at the time, the largest set of economic and financial databases in the world. And um, he got a job there and there was an opening and he called me up and he said, look, you have to come interview for this job. You're going you're gonna to love this. You love computer programming. You love data. Why don't you come and interview for this job? And I said, you know, Wall Street? I have no interest in Wall Street. Why, why would I do this? And he goes, he said to me, and this was actually kind of the funny part. He said, You'll, you, the starting salary is twice what you're making now. So I said, Meh, okay, I'll, I'll go for the interview. <laughs> and um, I got the interview. And my largest client and big, you know, most successful client turned out to be the Merrill Lynch Investment Strategy Group. And uh, I found I was extraordinarily interested in, in uh, macroeconomic analysis and macroeconomic data analysis. And um, 
you know, all of a sudden started working my way through Wall Street. There weren't a lot of people back then who could do data analysis. And, you know, I kind of worked my way up through the ranks and eventually became the chief strategist at Merrill and then opened my own asset management firm. <laughs> but it was all by accident. <laughs> I mean, it's a really funny story, but at the same time, um, how does it feel like to be a pioneer in the data analysis industry before anyone else was even aware of that that was a thing? How, yeah, how yeah. That? So, so, you know, it wasn't called data analysis back then. I kind of used the, the term of the day, but it was actually called quantitative analysis. Okay. And, and quantitative analysis was thought of as this very weird part of, of, uh, of Wall Street. It was all the computer nerds. Like nobody, there wasn't widespread use of computers at all. And we were kind of the nerds, you know, we were supposed to have like, tape on our glasses and you know you know all that kind of stuff and everything and and um what i did you know you, you said pioneer i i'm not sure i was really a pioneer i think there were a lot of people who preceded me and a lot of people were actually better uh, at data analysis than i was but what i realized was that because quantitative analysis was viewed as this kind of really esoteric weird thing that was going on it wasn't real analysis it was just the computer um, I, I kind of realized that what I had to do was translate the data analysis to a form that people could use, right? So it wasn't just the data analysis, it was the presentation. And, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the way I describe it, I, you know, there, you know, when, when in Rome speak Italian, it's, it's, it's the same thing. You know, if you're talking to people that don't know data analysis, you have to speak their language. And I think... Mm -hmm. That was the thing that actually propelled my career, not so much being um, a data analyst or quantitative analyst at the time. Um, in fact, at one point we changed my title so that it would be more accepting to people. I was, I was called uh, a quantitative analyst uh -huh. and then we decided to change the title to quantitative strategist. Okay. Because that was something that a portfolio manager could understand. Oh, he's a strategist. <laughs> and, and so it was all marketing. You know, a lot of it was marketing. So you were also, I'm just, I know like you, it's not the same name, but I'm just realizing that not only data analyst, but also data strategist and also data visualization. So right. you were even more a pioneer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking, but I'm, I'm really, yeah, really fascinated about that. It's a really cool story. And so... Coming back to the 80s, how do you think like um, technology and, and other factors have changed since then? Um, like you know, the yeah, technology has obviously gotten um, much more advanced. I mean, if you think over 40 years, technology over any 40-year period has probably advanced quite a bit, right? If, if you think about uh, 40 years before, I, before when I started in the industry, 1980, you'd be talking about 1940, right? It'd be before World War II or the beginnings of World War II. So, so technology does always change, and I think we have to keep that in mind. What's happened in, in my career is it's become more accessible, right? What I have on my phone and the, the data capabilities I have, my, I have on my phone through free apps is tremendous relative to what I used to have to do and program 40 years ago. So what used to take me, you know, maybe anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour and then I would end up with a hard copy. It takes me about 20 seconds 
and I have a digital copy that I can send to anybody I want to, right? It was, um, you have to realize 40 years ago, there weren't even fax machines. So <laughs> it was, you know, we're, we're talking about an amazing leaps in, in communication, not so much the data, but the, the ability to use the data and to share the data is really where you've had these um, significant changes. I mean, that's interesting because, yeah, it's true. Like, technology has not only the way that we can now do things quicker, but also the way we can share this information with other people that at the end of the day is the most important thing, isn't it? Yes. And I'm just thinking about, like, all this, like, uh, let's be prepared philosophy of, like, be ready for what is going to come and on all of these things. How do you apply this to, to your company as well? Like... Um, How are you? How do you make sure that everyone is up to date with technology and and all the changes happening? Right. So you know the 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 interesting thing about um, financial services, about asset management, and Wall Street is that we're constantly changing. Right. There's, there's this has been true. It's nothing new. You know, everybody says that there's now innovation and disruption. You know, that's actually the main part of capitalism. I always thought was innovation and disruption. But on on Wall Street and in asset management, it's been constant. I mean, there's never um, there, there's never a period where there has not been innovation. So what we try to do is we try to stay stay ahead of that, stay on top of that. How do we do that? Several different ways to do that. One is obviously technological infrastructure. We try to make sure that our firm, Richard Bernstein Advisors, has has the best technology that we can have, right? If your infrastructure isn't good, nothing else matters, right? We're finding that out in terms of right now with the, the global supply chain where, where transportation infrastructure isn't good. And so if the transportation infrastructure isn't good, there's no way you can deal with an emergency. There's no, you know, and, and so we try to make sure that our infrastructure is, is uh, you know, very much state of the art. Number two is that we encourage um, everybody in the firm to stay up to date and you know whether it's going to seminars or whether well now be online seminars or zoom seminars or something but we try to encourage them to to expand themselves individually and number three we stay very open to new ideas right it doesn't mean that we that we that we actually undertake every idea that everybody comes up with but we are uh, we do encourage everybody in the firm from the most junior person the most senior person to share ideas And, and even if it's a junior person, it's really not a very good idea. It becomes a learning experience for that person. So, so we want to make sure the infrastructure is okay. We want to make sure our people are educated well. And we want to make sure that there's an environment that, that rewards kind of an artistic and, and inquisitive environment. That was also like, that links to my next question as well. Like as a CEO, I was going to ask you, how is your approach to new people? Like, obviously you are kind of a self-starter because you didn't, joined the, the asset management industry was more like uh, by chance. So how is now your your how is now your approach to the new people like that joining your company? Yeah. So so um, the funny thing is in my career several times I, I've kind of been put in a situation where I was left by myself. I remember when I walked in uh, to Merrill Lynch the first day and I, I said to my boss, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to start with? And his response was a little bit curt, but he said, uh, I don't really care. Just don't make a fool of yourself. <laughs> and, um, you know, at first I was I was taken aback by that because I'm going like, well, what am I supposed to do? But the second but then it took me a while. and I realized that what he was really saying 
was that um, it was up to you. Be creative. Do what you want to do. And so, you know, to use the, the analogy, what I like to call it is I, I, I tend to push people out of the nest very quickly and, and force them to fly. And, and we do that in our firm. We have a lot of very junior people that get a tremendous amount of, of responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean they always do a good job. Right. They're going to make mistakes and you have to you have to understand that junior people with a lot of responsibility are going to make a lot of mistakes. But if you guide them correctly, you'll get their new ideas and their new innovation and everything else. And yes, you'll have the occasional mistake. I, you know, I don't want but you get mistakes with everybody. So why not? Why not have mistakes with people that have a promising future as opposed to mistakes from people that are, you know, uh, you know, not progressing? I mean, I think like making mistakes is, as you said, part of the learning. Mm -hmm. So I really like that approach um, because that makes people also grow and try to be Absolutely. independent. So I like the way you apply what you learn to, with the people joining your company. I think that's yeah. fine. I think I think people in our firm understand that if they make a mistake, you know, assuming it's not like a catastrophe. <laughs> uh, but if but if you make a if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. That's going to happen. What we don't like is when people make the same mistake again and again and again, because that means you're not learning and you're not yeah. trying to learn. Um, and that that's a difference. You know, we have, to, we have to be very careful about that, because when you have a, a younger person in a situation where they're not learning or they don't want to learn. That, that can be very detrimental to the firm. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that is always um, difficult to deal with. Right. And, and uh, coming back to, uh, we talked about the new people joining, but how do you see also on the other side of this kind of road, to call it some, how this technology, uh, how do you see, do you feel like um, technology can also leave some good professionals behind? Yeah, so you know that's that's an uh, that's an interesting question. I can I can tell you that that um, there's been a lot of people on Wall Street, especially when I was younger. There were a lot of people on Wall Street who kind of put on blinders. They said, "I'm only doing this, and that's all I want to do." And Wall Street changes too rapidly, whether it's technology, whether it's new products, you know, it's a very changing environment. And I think the people who have been most successful on Wall Street have been the people who have learned to adapt. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very important word, I think, any, in any industry, but certainly in a fast changing industry, the ability to adapt is very, very important. And, and what I found is that the Some of my who were my peers, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, aren't in the industry anymore because they couldn't adapt, whether it was technology, whether it was new products, no matter, no matter what it was. And so when I speak to younger people, it's one of the things I always say is that if you're coming to Wall Street, don't say this is what I want to do and I'm going to do that forever, because a lot of what you thought you might be doing could be obsolete in five years or 10 years. If you think about the traditional trader on Wall Street. That person's basically gone. There is no traditional trader. It's all, you know, we all think of somebody on a phone trading. That's not done anymore. It's all done by computers. And traders today are more computer programmers than they are, you know, phone conversation. I mean, it's, it's a completely changed role. So, yeah. So going back to that, I like that you mentioned um, how now everything is on my technology because I also wanted to ask you, um, obviously, with before was data analysis and now we are incorporating like 
in the data analysis more like artificial intelligence. So how do you feel like artificial intelligence, for instance, can also make changes in, in the industry? I'm sorry, did we, we kind of buzzed out there for a second. Sorry, and I meant like artificial intelligence, like talking about data analysis and about technology. How do you feel like, um, like uh, thinking of like the role of a trader, for instance, like that now you have um, computers that can do like uh, tasks that I don't know. Right. Like, so how do you feel like intelli uh, artificial intelligence? Oh, artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. So um, artificial intelligence is is kind of the next step in in all of this. And one of the things, you know, I used to teach in the graduate school at New York University. And uh, it was a course called Investment Strategies. And one of the one of the aspects of the course was the history of investment strategies. People don't realize there's actually a history to investment strategies, whether it's technical analysis or quantitative analysis, as we were discussing, or macroeconomic analysis. And, and there's, there's actually a history and a timeline of this. And one of the questions I used to ask, and at the end, obviously the most recent, you would get artificial intelligence and high frequency trading and all those kind of things. And so one of the questions I would ask the students is I would say, is this an evolution? In other words, are we progressing like from Cro-Magnon to Homo sapien? Are we are mm -hmm. we progressing? Is there an evolution through time? And of course, the natural reaction is to say yes, that there is an evolution, that what we're doing today is so much more advanced than what they were doing 100 years ago. But the question in asset management and the question in, on Wall Street is, what's the benchmark? What's the goal? And the goal is performance. Mm -hmm. So... If it were an evolution, you would think that performance would be improving. However, performance hasn't improved. So, you know, when, when I started, we were talking about quantitative analysis earlier, everybody saw that as a threat, much the way that people think of artificial intelligence today as a threat. Some quantitative portfolios performed well. Some quantitative portfolios didn't. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't replace anything that was there before. You still have technical analysis. You still have fundamental company analysis. Quantitative analysis didn't, didn't replace any of that. It just became a new kind of uh, uh, technique in an, in, an, in, a, uh, in an array of techniques. But it didn't replace anything. And so it's not really an evolution. So, you know, artificial intelligence, the way I describe it to people is, you know, everybody's robot won't outperform. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's impossible. You can't have everybody outperforming. It's just it, mathematically, it's impossible. So there will be good robots and there will be bad robots and that won't change. And, and I think artificial intelligence is a new technique. It may be very helpful, mm -hmm. but it, there's no guarantee that it will be. And there's no guarantee that it will enhance performance. Okay. The way I see it as well is like also, uh, like facilitate no i don't think like uh, i don't know from from my point of view like that is gonna um change roles like in terms of like uh substituting like people but i see it like perhaps it can be helpful like for screening funds or for screening stocks mm -hmm. and more like a, a tool right to to help exactly exactly you that word that word that you use is is very important it's a tool Exactly. And, and the same way that technical analysis is a tool, 
the same way that fundamental analysis is a tool or, or macro sector rotation is a tool, it doesn't, it's not the, the end product. And, and, you know, as I said, some robots will outperform and some robots won't. <laughs> no, of course, like, it's like uh, life itself. Exactly. <laughs> At the end of the day, the people behind like machines are like human beings, right? So right. It's not... <laughs> uh, now I'm gonna, we are getting like to the end of the conversation and I have to find them questions like more like personal. Um, I like to ask this question because I think this means differently to, to everyone. And, and I don't know, um, as a CEO, like as, and as a person as well, um, what does success mean to you? What is, what is what? I'm sorry. What does success mean to you? I, uh... Sorry. <laughs> how would you define um, uh, like uh, being success? I'm sorry. It's, it's uh... okay. <laughs> the editors are going to have fun with this part. <laughs> how, what is like, what does it mean like to be successful? Oh, to successful. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. It was, it was just garbled. Um, so, so su success, success for me is, um, is several fold, right? I mean, from a business perspective, success is, um, you know, performance for, for our investors, right? I mean, that's ultimately what it's all about. It's, it's, it's not about me. It's about, it's about our investors and are we providing value added to our investors, right? And, and so on a business sense, I think that's, that's really the, the basic goal uh, to have for, for us right now. I think for, um, For, as an entrepreneur, I think it's success is building a, a, a real business. I mean, you know, we started from scratch. We had, you know, 11 years ago, we had a very hard time starting the business. It was, if you remember back to 2008-9, it was a recession, a very bad recession. We, we, you know, but building a business, I think, is success. And then I think, you know, for me personally, um, Success is is having some kind of positive impact on society. I don't I don't know what that is. I hope it's I hope it's meaningful. Um, but that's that's you know that's what we that's what I'd like to do. I mean I don't you know that's that's kind of what I I hope to do. I think that's really nice. And then the second one is um, like if you have to give any advice to anyone who wanted to start a career in, uh, in finance. What would that be? What advice would you give to people? Yeah, so I would say, you know, and I, I do tell this to to uh, students that are, uh, you know, starting in the industry or that wanted to have an interest in the industry. Number one is to, uh, as I said before, be highly flexible, right? Have a, have a try and get as much training to be as flexible as you possibly can. Don't just study economics and finance, study philosophy, study anything you can because you never know when you're going to need it. Um, you know, a lot of my programming background came from my philosophy courses and symbolic logic and things like that. And and so I think it's very important to to be as well-rounded as you possibly can. Again, because you don't know what the future is going to be like and you don't know what's going to be important. So why not prepare for that? That's number one. Number two is I always tell people coming into our industry that there will be opportunities, right? There, Nobody's going to say to you, like go do this the the door will just be open and you'll be walking down the the hallway and the door will be open the question is whether you understand that the door is open and there really is an opportunity there and then number two whether you have the self-confidence to walk through the door and take the chance and i think for somebody who's younger that's the important point mm -hmm. because as as one gets more established in a career that sometimes people are more hesitant to do that but when you're young when you're in your 20s i mean 
Like, who cares? If you fail, you fail. You'll start again. It's not that big a deal. And and but I think that that you always have to think about looking for the opportunities, realizing they're there, and then having the self confidence to walk through oh, through that open door and grab it and do the best job you possibly can. And then the final thing I would say is, you know, look, most younger people get put in entry level positions, and they're terrible. Right. I, I haven't heard anybody ever say, I love my first job. It was just the best thing ever. But the thing that you want to do as a young person is no matter what job you get and how horrible it is, you want to do 110% because that's where you establish a reputation. If you're willing to do the dirty stuff and you're willing to do the hard stuff and the horrible stuff and you do it really, really well, that's where you start to develop a reputation. And you're going to be able to build off that reputation. And, and I think sometimes younger people forget that. They kind of think, oh, well, it's just an entry-level position and I'll, I'll just get through it. But, but that's where you start building your, your reputation in business is in those entry-level positions. Yeah, I think it's a very good advice. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I hope everyone listening to it can get something from it. I think it's yeah. great. So yeah, so yeah, we, we got to the end of the conversation. Um, thank you so much for, for being here with, uh, with us today, Richard. Yeah, thank you. you. Thanks for the invitation. Hope you have enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And, and yeah, to everyone um, listening, um, stay tuned and we will be back in two weeks. Okay, thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Okay, yep. thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye.